Welcome to the Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. My name is Dr. Adriana Popescu. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and leader in the field of mental health, energy psychology, addiction, trauma, and empowerment. In this podcast, we will be exploring mental health from a variety of perspectives, from the spiritual to the shamanic and beyond. What if mental illness isn't everything we think it is? What if everything we see as a pathology is actually a possibility? What else is possible with mental health? Hi everyone, Dr. Adriana Popescu here with you today with another episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. And I'm very excited to have with me as my guest, Dr. Gary Lawrence. Gary and his wife, Sylvia, have spent their lives successfully leading others to identify isolate and eliminate the root cause of the emotional turmoil in their lives. Over the course of 23 years, serving as the founder and director of the New Life Dynamics Christian Counseling Center, and 20 years as the host of his own radio show, Life Mastery Counseling with Dr. G, he has personally met with and coached more than 6,000 clients, has overseen the counseling of another 10,000 clients, and has inspired thousands more on radio, television, and stage. After retiring, Dr. G took the opportunity to refocus on the timeless principles of his best-selling book, Rejection Junkies, and in this guide to recognizing the damaging effects of rejection and the way in which this trauma manifests constantly throughout all phases of life. Dr. G helps readers to recognize the people, places, things, and circumstances that hold us hostage, keep us stuck, and make us bitter. A true freedom coach, he offers powerful and practical steps to unplug from these emotional energy thieves. Welcome, Dr. G. Well, thank you, Adrian. It's such a joy to be here, and I'm looking forward to bringing value to your audience. Yes, yes, yes. I think you have a really unique and interesting perspective. Um, But like, I always want to start with my guests. Let's first get into your story a little bit. You know, what got you doing this work? What inspired you to write this amazing book that you've written? Uh, And all of the work that you're doing, especially nowadays, you really have gone in kind of a different direction here. Tell us more. Well, actually, I wrote my book, Rejection Junkies, back in 1996. And uh, I suffered a stroke in January of 21. And so my wife and my son encouraged me to update my book, Rejection Junkies. But anyway, uh, in my earlier years, my wife and I, we met at college. And I was a missionary to Canada. And uh, during my travels, I traveled for about 12 months here in the States, uh, visiting churches uh, that would support me on my mission field. And oh my goodness, the number of pastors and their wives that were having marital problems and family issues. And so uh, I went to Winnipeg, Manitoba and started a church and I was there for about six years. And then I founded another church in British Columbia and we started several private schools. But I kept getting phone calls from pastors and their wives. Who, Who do they go to? Who are they safe with to get family and marital counseling? And so as I began to trace the histories of these folks, I just saw a lot of rejection in her background, which brings me back to Sylvia and I. We've been married 56 years, dog. And uh, I tell everybody the first 10 to 12 years of our marriage were not happy years. Uh, We, uh, I tell everybody that came to me for counseling that were divorced, the only difference between them and myself 
is the fact that our divorce papers were never signed. Uh, okay. Uh, there's no saying successful people are not people without problems, but they're people who've learned how to solve their problems. So I got into the scriptures and I thought, you know, I'm going to find out what is the solution here. My wife was raised in a very strict, quote, Christian home. Boy, they were in church every time the doors were open. But her mother was a very hostile, narcissistic personality. And she was physically and emotionally abusive. And uh, her father had sexually abused Sylvia from ages 7 to 12. And uh, so uh, we met in college. She was uh, uh, 20 years old. I was 22. And so we um, had been married about three months. And uh, I went on a road trip. I wasn't supposed to come home until Monday. But I decided I wanted to come home Sunday night. So I got home about midnight and fixed myself something to eat and took a shower and got in bed and began to em embrace her and caress her. And my goodness, Doc, she literally jumped out of bed so fast. She slammed herself against the wall. And for the next four hours, she sat there with her knees drawn up to her chest saying, you can't do that to me. Don't tell my daddy what you're doing to me. He told me, never let another man touch me the way he did. Well, now we understand that's PTSD. But in my mind at that time, I was only 22 years old, just a newly married man. She was having a nervous breakdown. Well, that was my, introduce, uh, my introduction to her sexual abuse and her background. And of course, I was the fourth of four children. And my father believed that I was an unwanted child by another man. So there was a lot of physical and verbal abuse in my growing up. So as we look at our backgrounds, Sylvia handled her rejection and physical abuse from her mother by withdrawing, by escaping. I handled my physical and verbal abuse by fighting back. I will be a survivor. So when we came together in college, it was a perfect setup emotionally. She was the escaper. I was the survivor. She needed someone to control her. I needed someone to control. And I say it like this, dog. When people come together for this thing called holy matrimony, opposites attract, then they attack, and then they retract. And that's what was going on in our earlier years in marriage. And so I promised Sylvia if she didn't leave me. See, I was very successful as a pastor, as a speaker, but my marriage was falling down. And I remember saying very clearly, I did not get married to get divorced. I will find out what's happening here. Well, uh, I found this verse of scripture in Hebrews, and it says uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, that we should look diligently, very, very closely, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So bitterness does two things. It troubles you and defiles many. Now, most people don't realize this, but when they marry another individual, they marry their entire previous life. They marry their entire family and all the mental and emotional habits they've developed come into that marriage relationship. It's like when we got married, Doc, we just drug a whole bunch of emotional garbage into our relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. I, I say it like this, uh, uh, by age eight, 80% of our emotional patterns are formed. By age 18, 100% of our self-image is formed. So as you go through your 20s, your 30s, and your 40s, and your 50s, 
Well, you may get some wrinkles and get some gray hair. Uh, you may have a better education. Uh, you may be making more money. But the older you get, I'll guarantee you, you still function with most of those emotional patterns that were formed by the time you were eight years old. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think it's such an important point that you're bringing up because we have this prevailing view. I, I think especially here in America, where we have this culture, this very individualistic, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of culture, that if you've had things happen in your past, like traumatic things, you know, the a lot of people, the prevailing, you know, perspective is, well, just get over it, move on, right? right. Like, that stuff's not happening anymore. But I think as you so clearly illustrated with your wife, that it doesn't work like that, especially when we're talking about trauma and these set emotional and behavioral patterns. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, big time. Well, let me tell you a little story. I had a couple come to me years ago. Uh, they had been married 55 years. He was an 80-year-old retired medical practitioner. And uh, he was a very angry man, very critical of his wife, very punitive in his attitude. And so when I said by age eight, 80% 80 of our emotional patterns are formed, he interrupted me. And he looked at me. He says, well, Doc, what you're telling me is I'm an 80-year-old, 8-year-old. And his wife leaned over and patted him on the leg and said, see, sweetheart, I told you you act like a little boy. <laughs> okay. And so... Uh, that's true of everyone. Uh, I went into my marriage with the emotional garbage from the past. Sylvie brought all her baggage with us. And unfortunately, when most people get on their honeymoon and they're unpacking their baggage in the honeymoon suite, they don't know that they're carrying a lot of that emotional baggage with them. Uh, uh, over the years, I uh, had my counseling practice here in Phoenix for over 23 years. And I've been on the radio for 20 years with a live call-in uh, talk show uh, called uh, uh, Live Mastery Counseling with Dr. G. And uh, often I would ask people, when did your marriage begin to fall apart? And many times I heard, oh, I knew it wasn't going to work before we even got married. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, why did you go through with the marriage? Well, my mom and dad expected it. Well, our plans were already made. And so it's like they saw the skill it was hot but they decided to jump into it anyway right right um you spoke before you used a term i would love for you to expand on which is the term bitterness right what role does bitterness play in all of this okay well that's a great question bitterness is not a happy word mm -hmm. uh, bitterness is not a friendly word uh, bitterness is a word that people want to avoid they'll say oh i'm not bitter but I recall a time when Sylvia and I, we were going back from El Paso, El Paso, Texas on a road trip. And I had just come to the place I was ready for a divorce. I, I felt helpless. I felt hopeless. And so I said, Sylvia, I'm going to file for a divorce. I'm not angry at you. I'm not mad. I just cannot live with an emotionally damaged person the rest of my life. And she says, well, I'm not like you. And I said, what do you mean you're not like me? She said, well, you're always mad. You're always yelling. Well, I was a duplicate of her mother's personality, right? And uh, which brings the thought to, to my mind, this one statement. In every marriage, there's a parent and there's a child. It has nothing to do with gender. You always have a dominant one and a passive one, always. That's because opposites attract, right? Right. 
And so I said, Sylvia, you may not be like me, but you are bitter. I am not bitter, she said. I said, well, you may not think you're bitter, but bitterness is not just outward anger. Bitterness is an inward resentment. And I said, when your father sexually abused you, he wounded your spirit. Bitterness is a wounded spirit. Bitterness, now this is my definition, and people don't have to accept it as truth, okay? But uh, you show me someone, when you're in their presence, they create a sense of guilt. I'll show you someone you have a root of bitterness towards. You show me someone who creates a sense of fear. I'll show you someone you have a root of bitterness towards. Uh, you show me someone that creates anxiety. I'll show you someone you have a root of bitterness towards. Uh, you show me someone that you avoid being around. I'll show you someone you have a root of bitterness towards. And those things are what I call emotional energy thieves. Well, when you've got a dozen or so emotional energy thieves pulling you away from your husband or wife, how in the world are you going to bond on a healthy level? It's not going to happen. Right. Right. I often think of this as keeping keeping the score, you know, like when someone's keeping a scorecard, like here's what you did, how you did me wrong this time. And here's how you did me wrong right. that time. Right. And and we and these this bitterness, you know, can get like concrete, you know, into the form of resentments. And then that all just creates separation. Like you say, we can't be close to someone if we have all this separation, you know, created right. by this resentment. Right. And unfortunately, you know, when we're in our early adult lives, let's say in our 20s, basically, when we do get married, we are getting the leftovers of the emotional garbage that was created in their childhood. Mm -hmm. And that's true of everybody, 100% true. Mm -hmm. uh, pe people look at wealthy people like Trump, uh, Donald J. Trump. Would you say he's got a few emotional issues? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it's so obvious. And... <laughs> It's so sad. It's heartbreaking. And then you look at the condition of the American population today. Everybody hates everybody. Everybody's on strike. Everybody's protesting. Uh, everybody's murdering. Everybody's pillaging. Uh, there is so much bitterness. Uh, and, and it's not getting any better, that's for sure. No, in fact, I think it's uh, I think it's a lot of it has been repressed for so long. And finally, now it's just coming out, oozing out like an infected wound, right? It's oozing out all over the place. So, yeah. so Dr. G, what is the solution here? What do you, how do people move past all this bitterness? Well, unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of secular counseling and Christian counseling that really don't address the genuine issue, okay? Uh, I have developed a method in my coaching that I call the emotional surgery. After I've taken a person's life history, that's where I trace every rejectatory experience the person's had. I am able to position them to literally break free from the emotional energy thieves of the past. It's a very uh, painstaking, uh, painful emotional experience, but it's very it's one that's very uh, proactive and very productive. Uh, so they've got to learn how to get free from their past. And the bottom line is, if you don't get free from the past, you're not going to enjoy the present, and you will not be able to design the future that you desire. And you can't. Now, uh, here, here's the thing. 
and I think you would agree with this, a lot of secular psychiatry, psychology, all they do is put you on a pill. Now, that's not all of them by any means. There's a lot of good psychologists out there, a lot of great psychiatrists. But uh, if all they do is offer you a pill, you're not going to solve the problem. You're just going to become a temporary shelter from the problem. In Christian counseling, it's so shallow. They say, well, pray about it. We'll get closer to God. We'll just read the Bible more. Well, you know what? There's a lot of Christian people who are reading the Bible till they go blind, but they don't get an answer to their situation. They don't have a solution. And I promised Sylvia if she would not leave me, because see, she was so passive, she had determined the best thing for our two sons would be for her to leave and leave the boys with, with me. See, there was her escape pattern again. I'll just walk away. I'll just escape. And it's so sad. And I decided, you know what? I didn't get married to get divorced. I'm going to find an answer here. And so I did find the, the answer. And once I began to get free from my bitterness, then Sylvia was able and willing to learn how to get free from her bitterness. And here again, I believe the leadership in a marriage falls on the husband. Now, that doesn't mean the wife doesn't have a responsibility, okay? But uh, the leadership in the home comes back to the father. And, you know, unfortunately, there's 24 million children in America today that are being raised in a one-parent home by their mother. Now, do the math. 24 American children, 24 million, uh, without a father in the home. That's heartbreaking, doctor. Yeah, well, and they're not getting, I think even in a lot of the two-parent homes, the, they're still, you know, the kids don't come with a manual, and right. we most of us were not raised in the most functional, healthy homes where we were, you know, shown healthy ways to deal with right. emotions and healthy ways to communicate. We just right. inherited whatever was role model to us. And, and you've also spoken about, I meant to ask you about this before, you've spoken about the the intergenerational trauma and bitterness that gets passed, not just our own personal history from childhood right. and what we got from our parents, but it goes further back too. Right. Well, the scriptures tell us the sins of the father shall be visited upon the third and fourth generation. So I'll take myself for an example. I came out of my early development when I was 16 years old, very hostile, and got into a physical confrontation with my father and literally hit him in the middle of the chest and knocked him through a bedroom window, and I ran out the back door. So I left my home when I was 16 years old. Uh, and so uh, with me in myself, I took all that anger and that hostility and that bitterness with me that my father passed down to me. Well, then I look at my father's childhood. Uh, his parents were both severe alcoholics. He was raised in a very hostile, alcoholic environment. And well, guess what happened to his parents? They were raised in alcoholic environments. So, you know, uh, the, uh, the bottom line is uh, parents, uh, they will pass down to their children all the negative and positive emotional patterns from their past. It's the generational pass down. And I'm so grateful that Sylvia and I have learned these truths because we've been able to break down, uh, to break that generational pass down. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful to be free emotionally.
You mentioned to me before when we had spoken about depression in particular and how that can be um, a self-sabotaging kind of emotion um, that does involve hostility turned inward. Can you say right. more about that? Well, yeah, and de depression is one of the most uh, misunderstood and abused emotional quandaries that people are faced with today. Now, <laughs> if you can show me a blood test where there's a chemical imbalance in the blood, then I will accept the diagnosis of clinical depression. But uh, depression is nothing more than a hostility turned inward. That's when you're beating up on yourself emotionally. Well, if you're so busy beating up on yourself emotionally, you're never going to have the ability to love and accept other people unconditionally. Uh, you know, I say it like this. The reason most people have a poor self-image is because they believe what other people say about them, about themselves. So let, let, let's go back to the conversation of marriage. A man's ability to love his wife is nothing more than the overflow of his own self-esteem. Mm -hmm. If a man doesn't have a healthy, positive level of self-love and acceptance, he has nothing to give to his wife, and he has less to give to his children. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And then that's why we then have these kids that grow up, you know, from the psychological perspective, we might say they develop attachment issues, right? Because they didn't get their needs met. They didn't get their emotional needs met as children. And so as they grow up, they start to form unhealthy attachments and they have the bitterness and maybe that, you know, the, of those emotional patterns that start to become unhealthy and then right. the pattern continues and it just keeps perpetrating generation to generation. It makes total sense to me. Right. Yeah. It's just the generational path down. It's the anger and, and the depression it just keeps getting recycled. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I, I think one of the biggest uh, issues that children grow up with, especially in today's society, uh, is uh, false guilt. Now, there's different levels of guilt. False guilt is anxiety created from a fear of being rejected for a lack of performance. That's false guilt. But genuine guilt is a grieving over a situation created by the Holy Spirit. And when I understood, when I came to understand the difference between false guilt and genuine guilt, I said, you know what? I'm going to kick false guilt to the side. I'm not going to function on false guilt. And uh, so uh, I remember when I resigned from the pastor and decided to start my counseling practice back in the States, uh, I talked to my older sister and she said, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that you've left the sacred desk. And I said, what do you mean? Well, you've left the pastor just just to be a counselor. And I said, Zoner, I refuse to receive that false guilt. See, she didn't even know she was putting that false guilt on me. Mm -hmm. And most people don't realize they live in false guilt. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like the uh, uh, marionette that pulls the strings. Uh, I will make you feel guilty if you don't do what I want you to do. Yeah. I will make you feel less valuable if you don't behave the way I think you should behave or perform the way I think you should perform. Mm -hmm. uh, I will not accept you unconditionally unless you meet the conditions that I expect you to meet. Right. And so that false guilt just goes on and on and on. And it's not just individual, I think, and within families, it's institutional as well, right? Like oh. we can see that in cultures, 
We certainly see that in many organized religions. You know, if you don't behave in the way that we say you should, you know, there are certain religions that are particularly notorious at, at putting that on the people in their in their congregations. Oh, you are 100 percent spot on, doctor. Uh, I remember when I became a Christian, I was 20 and a half years old. And uh, it was a very emotional, moving time for me. Well, then after I became a Christian, I started hearing this message. Well, if you really love the Lord, you will not do this any longer. If you really believe what we're teaching you, you will not behave this way any longer. And boy, it took, I just, I got involved in a very legalistic, controlling ministry. Now, I was living a very uh, strong life of lasciviousness. And I guess I needed that to control me at that time. But once I caught on to the fact that I was on this performance trip to gain their acceptance, that's when I began to break away from that uh, legalistic uh, uh, environment. And you're absolutely right. I mean, let's, I, I was raised in a, an extreme legalistic Baptist church. But then you look at the Catholic church, everything's a sin. And you got to go in every week and confess your sin. It's just a constant uh, repeat, uh, day in and day out, week in, week out, month in, month out. Uh, let me make you feel guilty. There are so many things wrong with you. Nothing can be right. I mean, how can anybody achieve happiness or a healthy relationship with anyone if they're constantly uh, burdened with this amount of what you call this false skill? I'm I'm with you 100%. I think, right. uh, you know, I call them core false beliefs. You know, when you take, when you come to believe, especially in the earliest life stages with those right. emotions patterns, uh, the belief that I'm not enough, uh, I, I'm unlovable, I'm not worthy, yeah. I'm a bad person. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and uh, unfortunately, most people don't know the difference between happiness and joyfulness. Mm -hmm. Happiness is the emotion you experience as a result of your circumstances. Oh, I've got a new car. I've got a new house. I've got a new job. I've got a new girlfriend or boyfriend. I'm happy because of my circumstances. Mm -hmm. The joyfulness is the emotion you experience in spite of your circumstances. It's a choice. It's a decision that I'm not going to be controlled by my circumstances, but I'm going to control my emotions in spite of my circumstances. Mm -hmm. And once people begin to understand that difference, then they have a, a, an opportunity to be genuinely happy. Yes. But they're going to have to overcome the number one addiction, which you talk about so extensively and eloquently, which is the number one rejection to to re the number one addiction to rejection. So can you say more about that? Because that's a huge premise in your work. Well, it sure is. And uh, once people begin to find the root cause of all their uh, feelings of guilt, their feelings of rejection, they're, they're a cause of depression, then and only then are they able to break those strings to the past. And it's that simple. And that's what I do in my coaching. I help them identify every emotional energy thief that is sucking the life out of them. And I give them the tools mentally and emotionally to cut that cord to the past. And I, I remember I, I counseled a fellow here in Phoenix and I asked him, I said, where was your father buried? He said, well, in the state of New York. I said, how far is that? He said, it's about 2,500 miles. 
I said, isn't that interesting? You have a 2,500 mile long emotional umbilical cord attached to you. <laughs> and uh, that's the way it is with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. so. You know, I'm sure you come across this as well. Um, I, mm. I certainly see with some of my clients, you know, intellectually, they kind of get it like, yeah, I'm dragging this baggage around. Yeah, that might be keeping me from, you know, finding happiness or, or having the things that I want to be successful with. But I, I don't want to give up that resentment. I don't want to get up that bitterness. I don't want to forgive. There's a real unwillingness right. to forgive because people think for whatever reason they need to hold on to it for some reason. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I sure can. People become comfortable with their misery. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. They get hooked in being unhappy. Uh, they get hooked in being depressed. That's the only level of lifestyle they know. And most people don't understand what genuine forgiveness is. Uh, you've heard that old saying, forgive and forget, right? Mm-hmm. But did you know that's a lie? Uh, <laughs> you, 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 you will never be able to forgive until you get uh, forgiven for your root of bitterness. And I'll use my father-in-law, for example. We're just calling him George, okay? Uh, I hated him. I, I was bitter towards him. I had a resentment towards him. Uh, every night I went to bed with my wife. I went to bed with my father-in-law. Emotionally. Well, uh, when I began to understand the definition of forgiveness, that's when I was able to seek forgiveness. Now, let me give your audience the definition of uh, my definition. They don't have to accept it. Forgiveness is becoming more concerned for the needs of the offender than what they've done to offend you. So let me say that one, one more time. Forgiveness is becoming more concerned for the needs of the offender than what they've done to offend you. What happened to my father-in-law to make him commit such a heinous crime? Uh, what happened to him emotionally that made him uh, live such a distorted life? What happened to my mother-in-law that made her so bitter, made her so angry? And when I began to understand that I had no concern for their well-being, that's when I began to understand how bankrupt I was emotionally. So I decided I'm going to seek forgiveness for my bitterness. So I called my father-in-law and I said, uh, uh, Harry, uh, this is Gary. How are you doing? I said, I'm doing fine. I said, hey, the reason I'm calling you, the Lord has shown me that I've been having some emotional problems. And part of my emotional issues is that I need to ask you to forgive me for something. And he said, yeah, what's that? I said, could you forgive me for my bitterness towards you? Now, I did not mention the sexual abuse. I did, not re, uh, I did not refer to his behavior. I focused on my bitterness. And I said, could you please forgive me for my bitterness? And he was dead silent. Well, that's the kind of man he was. There was no verbalization at all. And he said, well, I don't know. I said, can you please forgive me for my bitterness towards you? He said, well, yeah, I guess I do. I said, okay, well, thank you very much. And I hung up. About a week later, I got to thinking, my goodness, I don't have that anger in me. I don't have that bitterness in me. I don't have that hatred in me. So I called him up and I said, hey, Harry, this is Gary again. He said, yeah, what's up? And I said, I just wanted to call and tell you that I am so grateful that you're my father-in-law and that God has used you to build into me character qualities I did not have. 
And I just wanted to tell you, I love you. Now stop and think about the dynamics. Here I was, a man that was very bitter, very hateful, very depressed. And now I'm calling a man that I hated to tell him I love him. Now there's a scriptural principle behind that. Jesus says, sweet water and and bitter water cannot flow through the same fountain. When, when all I had coming out of me was bitter water, there was new, no room for sweet water to flow. And oh my goodness, what a joy I had after that conversation. That's true mental and emotional freedom. Wow. I mean, I think that's a pretty advanced uh, spiritual perspective that I think a lot of people would probably struggle with uh, even conceiving of of that. Um, how do you deal? Because I would imagine, you know, if you tell that story or share that concept with folks that many people might be like, there's no way, because then it makes it sound like he gets away with what he did or that somehow you're saying that what he did was okay. I think that's a lot of people's perception of that. Right. Well, uh, let me tell you this story. There was a poor farmer that had a hundred pounds of potatoes and he had no wagon and he needed to get to the village market. So he slung that hundred pounds of potatoes over his shoulders and went out to the road. And as he's dragging along and carrying along, here came another farmer in a wagon and he offered him a ride. He said, would you like to have a ride into town? He said, boy, I sure would. And so the poor farmer got up in the wagon. He reached down and got that 100 pound of potatoes and slung it over his shoulders. The driver of the wagon said, hey, you've put those potatoes in the back of the wagon. And the poor farmer says, oh, no, I can't expect you to carry me and my potatoes. Mm. And see, here's the thing. that, uh, And I agree with what you said. That is frightening. That's why I have a step-by-step -step process that prepares them for the emotional surging. By the time I get them there, they are ready to get rid of that emotional sack of potatoes. Mm -hmm. And the bottom line is probably about, and, and I did the numbers on this years ago, probably about 35% uh, of my clients did not follow through with the emotional surging. They wanted to continue to be bitter. They wanted to continue to hate. In their minds, they had a right and a reason to hate. And they did. I tell everybody, you have every right to be bitter. You have a, you have every reason to hate. I wouldn't take that away from you for nothing. All you have to decide is how much longer will you let the past control your present? It's a matter of taking ownership of your life. Well, it's making a choice, right? And that's right. a hard thing for somebody who identifies as a victim, right? Somebody who... Right says this terrible thing, you know, happened to me that I had no control over, that right. I had no choice over. And now you're asking me to make a choice. Sometimes it's not even in their field of reference to think that they can have a choice. Right. Well, and, and, and see, that's where they make a choice. Once and for all, I'm going to take back my life. I'm going to take ownership of my future. I'm not going to let the future be clouded with the doom of the past. Mm -hmm. I'm a big boy, I'm a big girl. And now I'm going to stop blaming other people. Uh, the bottom line is people become so crippled emotionally that they literally cannot function in a healthy relationship. Yes, absolutely. And I think what you're describing is something that, you know, I'm also uh, very committed to, which is empowerment, you know, empowering yeah. people to recognize 
that while they may not have been able to control things that have happened in the past, they can right. control the changes they make now, the choices they make now, and they can choose to set themselves free. It's it's truly the very definition of empowerment. And I wish more people could could get that message and could get that concept because I think we'd have a much freer and happier world to live in. Right. Well, doctor, I, I'm sure in your practice, you see a strong percentage of men and women who don't want that empowerment. Mm -hmm. They like to stay where they are emotionally because they're hooked on that. They're hooked on, excuse me, they're hooked on rejection. They are. Why, yeah. See, and that term junkies, well, back in the seventies and eighties and nineties, if you were involved in drug addiction, you were a junkie. Well, rejection is no different. You are unconsciously hooked on creating and recreating the rejection of the past. And I'm so yeah. glad that, especially at this time of my life, uh, I'm 79 years old, but I don't live in the rejection environment of the past. Yeah. And haven't, well, uh, and haven't for the last 40 years. I'm sorry, my voice is given away for some reason. Oh, no, no, no worries. Um, no, and, and I think your your story is especially being willing to be so vulnerable um, with your story. It's so powerful because you are the living proof that, look, this if you if you want to make this choice, you can and tremendous freedom can come from it. It's a really beautiful message. And I love that you're getting it out there in the world. Um, Dr. G, if people want to find out more about your your counseling practice, about your book, where should they go? Well, I appreciate that. I want to say, uh, respond to one thing you said about my being vulnerable. Yeah. I've had many people say, aren't you embarrassed to talk about that? No, I'm free from it. There's no embarrassment. And so uh, I'm empowered. Oh, it's so wonderful to be empowered to the point of freedom, mentally and emotionally. But if any of your listeners would like to contact me, they can go to my website. It's rejectionjunkies.com. And that's rejectionjunkies, J-U-N-K-I-E-S. And on my homepage, there's a quiz. Are you a rejection junkie? And there's no cost. And I will respond. Excuse me, Doc. I'm sorry. And that's wonderful. And we will add that for sure to the show right. notes. We'll also add a link to your book so people can find it. Um, this is, this is powerful, powerful work. I'm so grateful that you're out there talking to people about this and showing them a different possibility. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to share with your audience. It's been a joy to get acquainted with you. Well, thank you. Joy. Thank you. And it's fun that we're speaking, I think the same language and trying to get the same message across, even though our, our language might be slightly different or our, our backgrounds are different. And right. Yet, and yet, look, we can find common ground here. I wish more people in the world would uh, would talk with each other in this ways. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, you're a you're a wonderful host, and uh, it, uh, isn't it amazing that uh, we can teach the same truth and not worry about whether or not it is truth. Truth is truth, and yeah, we do use different words, different languages, but we get the same message across. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much, Dr. G, for being on the show with me today. Uh, thank you so much, audience, for tuning in. Um, if you have liked this podcast, it, please do share it, rate it, um, do all the things, review it. All those things are going to help us get this message out there in the hands of more, more people. And any final thoughts for us, Dr. G? 
No, that's it. I just uh, want to say thank you for the opportunity to, to be with you today and to share the information I have. And once again, uh, if your uh, audience wants to get a hold of me, they go to my website, rejectionjunkies.com, and they can fill out that questionnaire, are you a rejection junkie? And I will respond to them and give them 30 minutes, no cost, uh, no upsell, uh, just some information about themselves that I think will help them. Wonderful. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next time on Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. This has been Dr. Adriana Popescu. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and share with others. To find out more about me, my guests, and more, please visit my website at adrianapopescu.org. See you next time.